Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to The Aftermath. Today, we'll be talking to author Helen Rappaport. She has written books about the Romanov family, including The Race to Save the Romanovs, The Truth Behind the Secret Plan to Rescue the Russian Imperial Family, and The Last Days of the Romanovs, Tragedy at Ekaterinburg. And she has a lot to say about the final days of this family. Hi, Helen. How are you? I'm I'm fine, thank you. Nice to hear your cheerful voice. Oh, well, it's really nice to hear you. We're so excited to have you on the show. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, you've written so much about the Romanovs. What what was it that initially drew you to the Romanovs? Well, I would say it was more what initially drew me to Russia and everything Russian, because I came to the Romanovs quite late. I'd always been fascinated by Russia since I was a teenager. And um, when I got into history writing, I hadn't intended really to write write about the Romanovs. And um, it was, in fact, an agent I was with at the time who suggested I should look at them. And I guess my initial response I was, oh, my God, all that bling, all that kind of, you know, Anastasia Rasputin, all the mythology and that side of the story did not appeal to me. But when I started looking into it, I really became completely engrossed in that particular family, in the imperial family and uh, their lives 
together. I, I, you know, I wanted to get away from all the cliches and the schmaltz. It's one of those that's so entrenched in all of the mythology around it that it's hard to know when you're getting uh, the correct information, right? The, the number of emails I've had from conspiracy theorists about you know, one or all of the Ronos escaping and living happily ever after. And I, <laughs> you know, letters saying Anastasia was my granny. <laughs> and then, you you know, I've been bombarded over and over with, was Rasputin really this terrible demonic figure? Did he run Russia? Did he go to bed with the Tsarina? And all this absolute nonsense that's written about him drives me demented. Well, we cannot wait to hear your take if you could walk us through the family's living conditions while under house arrest in Ekaterinburg. When the Romanov family were moved out to um, the house in Ekaterinburg in April 1918, they were moved into a much more closed and restricted environment than they had previously been held in in the governor's house in Tobolsk. There they'd been quite free. They'd been allowed to exercise outside. They'd been been able to have a a degree of movement. And early on, they'd even been allowed to go to church. But everything changed when Lenin's government really clamped down on the control of their imprisonment and moved them to Ekaterinburg, which was a very fiercely pro-Bolshevik stronghold in the Urals. And almost from the moment they arrived, they were made to feel this time they were effectively entering a prison. And the circumstances in which they were held were no longer house arrest. They were more like being in prison. And there were several shocking things that that, that made it very clear how curtailed their, their freedom was now going to be. First of all, there were a huge number of guards patrolling outside the house in the garden, manning machine guns up in the attic, uh, machine guns in the church bell tower across the road, and also a huge, huge high wooden palisade was erected right round the house so that none of the local people passing up and down the street could see into the grounds, could see into the house, and equally the Romanovs themselves from within the house could not look out onto the outside world. And previously, of course, they'd always been able to do that and even wave to people on the street. So the worst thing of all for them, though, was that it was coming up to summer. All the windows were tightly sealed. Um, it was very stuffy and airless. And then they painted over the windows. They actually painted out the windows with whitewash So they literally could not see the world outside. They could not open a window and hear what was going on until they actually had to make several appeals about that because it became so oppressive and the lack of air was appalling that the the commandant actually allowed a window to be opened. But basically, they were in a very confined space along with their doctor and the three very loyal servants who'd volunteered to come with them. And it, it, was, it was stressful. It was oppressive, especially as summer came on. I mean, it must have felt so isolating. How, how did they even uh, pass the time? Well, it was very boring because, of course, the other thing was 
um, that they had, they were not allowed to go out. They were not allowed to go to church. Their post was stopped. They were not allowed to receive or send parcels. They weren't allowed any visitors. Now, just imagine those four hormonal girls locked up with a pretty neurotic mother, all going absolutely stir crazy because there was only a very small, pokey little garden at the back, which they walked round and round and round in endless circles. It was terribly frustrating for Nicholas, who was a very fit and active man and a great walker. He found the confinement very difficult to take because he used to love going off the long walks. So um, in that sense, it was just incredibly, you know, closed in for them. It must have been very hard because they had a few books with them, which they read and reread. I think by the time they were in Ekaterinburg, Nicholas certainly was rereading every book he could find in the house. I think the girls, all they could do to amuse themselves was um, actually a novelty of helping with the washing. They'd, ne- they'd never done washing or looked after their personal things or cooked anything before. And so it's rather sweet. You find them making, uh, there were some amusing comments um, early on uh, before the um, news of them was really clamped down on, of them learning how to wash their underwear, you know, rather sad because that was all there was for them to do. I mean, in terms of being occupied, the other thing they could do and had to do was keep an eye on their very sick brother and their equally sick mother. And so every day when the family went out for recreation, one or other of the four girls would sit with mother and read the Bible to her or something suitably pious to keep her company. So in that sense, they were kept busy just looking after each other, but they had very, very little to do in terms of entertainment or occupation. Did they ever attempt to escape? Are there any reports of them trying? There, there is this whole business of some letters being smuggled into them, which were intended to provoke a, a response or them intimating, intimating that they might want to escape. There is no way that family would have, would or could have escaped from that house. And I do get very, very annoyed with people who who write me these stupid emails saying that they you know they they all got away. They did not get away. The house was impregnable. There is no way you could have had a sick mother, a sick boy, four girls, and Nicholas all somehow miraculously escape. It was a hopeless situation. There was no way they were going to get out of there. And in fact, they made it very clear when messages were smuggled in that uh, earlier on, actually, when they were in Tavos, when people suggested they might be able to go and rescue them, that they were adamant they did not want people people's lives put at risk. They did not want people to get killed or hurt trying to rescue them. And in a way, by the time they were in Ekaterinburg, they were so reconciled, I think, to whatever fate would bring and to staying together that that they just did not want to flee. They really did not want to. And besides, how could they? You know, Alexei was very, very ill towards the end. I don't think he would have lived much longer anyway. Wow. Do, do you think they actually understood uh, what, 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 what their fate would be? Well, I think it's very difficult to judge that because, of course, we only have a few diary entries 
written by Nicholas and Alexandra, nothing from the girls, and of course, no letters. They weren't allowed to send any letters. All one can do is intimate what might have been going through their minds, knowing them individually. I think certainly the Tsar would have known and accepted, and probably his wife too, that his head would roll. He had wow. been head of state. He had been the embodiment of Tsarism and the, the whole autocratic imperial system. I'm sure Nicholas was perfectly aware that he might be shot or murdered or, or something. But I don't, whether he ever discussed it with his wife, I don't know. Maybe they did. I suspect Alexandra might have sensed. But I don't, you see, the thing that's so awful about the story is no one in their wildest moment, and certainly not Nicholas and Alexander themselves, could ever have thought that the Bolsheviks would murder their children. Um, yes. that, is, that was just beyond the pale, too horrific to contemplate. So, But I do get the impression from all I know of Olga, the eldest daughter, and this is from the way she was before they were moved after the revolution, before they were moved to Siberia, she became very depressed, very upset that the Russian people hated her father so much. She could sense that their days were numbered. I think she was fearful because she did become very depressed, very thin, very withdrawn towards the end. And I think perhaps Olga sensed this was not going to end um, with any kind of release, that their days were numbered. But we can only guess. We can only guess because we know we don't have any absolutely concrete evidence. Right. Now, you mentioned that they didn't even want to be rescued by their, their family members. Um, well, not their family members. Their family members couldn't have re rescued them. Half the Romanovs were in jail, had fled or, or, you know, or had been murdered. People who might have been able to stage a rescue, had they been better organized and they were hopeless, were the white, the white, uh, the white Russian counter-revolutionaries who were fighting in and around Siberia? They were, you know, they were they were fighting against um, uh, the Red Army and the Bolsheviks. So, uh, that the whites were incompetent, and I explain in my book, the race to save the Romanovs, how impossible it was for all these different little cliques to come together and mount any kind of comprehensive or properly planned rescue mission. They could possibly, certainly, have got the family out of Tobolsk. There were opportunities missed there or, or at a time when the, the guards were much more sympathetic to the family. This is, uh, you know, when they were first in captivity before the Bolshevik takeover in uh, November 1917. There, there could possibly have been an, uh, a rescue from Tobolsk, but absolutely no way from Ekaterinburg. It feels like such a hopeless situation. It was hopeless. And uh, I think in their heart, his heart of hearts, Nicholas knew it, certainly. But I do think Alexandra was probably in a bit of denial about it. I mean, she kind of gave up actually when they got to uh by the time they got to Ekaterinburg, she became more and more absorbed in her religion uh, more religious and uh, reading the bible and the scriptures and stuff all the time and she kind of resigned herself to god they were terribly fatalistic in that sense as was the czar 
it was you know God's will be done, and uh, he will he resigned himself to his fate, and so it, it, he was a very religious man, as was his wife, as as were the entire family, and maybe that's why they seemed calmer and more resigned because their religious faith kept them going and help them kind of come to terms with what might happen. Now, did the family have any interaction with uh, Yakov Yurovsky? Well, only in the sense that he was the commandant of the house, uh, in charge of the house for the last two weeks, and he was brought in specifically, really, to prepare for their murder. Uh, their relationship with him was... Uh, uh, only as and when they had to uh, interact with him. Most of the time, they, you know, he was in his office, they were in their rooms, and never the twain should meet. And occasionally he would come in and supervise on the, uh, the occasions when they were allowed a priest to come in and hold a service in their rooms. But essentially, they didn't like him. They were actually quite frightened of him, very mistrustful of him. So... They knew he was a hardliner, and of course he was there for a purpose, which was to murder them all. What was their final evening like? Well, we don't know, except it was much like every other day. Their lives, in fact, if you want (laughs) I think everyone can sympathize with the, the parallel of what their lives were like towards the end. They were in lockdown. They sat indoors all day. They went out for a walk for an hour or so, just like we've been allowed to here in Britain. They ate their food, they read a book, they went to bed, and every day was the same, day after day after day. And it's been a bit like that for all of us in lockdown during the pandemic, hasn't it? So their last evening was probably as much as any other evening. They ate a frugal meal. Nicholas read to them out loud, which he loved doing. Uh, They went to bed. Alexandra made a couple of lines uh, about the day in her... I won't call it a diary. It was just a brief kind of notebook of what the temperature was and whether or not Alexei was sick or well. And they went to bed, and that that was it, you know. There was nothing significant at all in that day, I think, that they would have noticed. So at what point were they informed that they were going to be taken down to the basement? Well, they were woken up, I think they were woken up after midnight, just in the early hours of the 18th. Um was it the 17th? God, I can't remember now. Anyway, they were woken up in the very early hours of the morning, told to get dressed. Now, they they didn't do it in a hurry. They were run off. They never hurried when Yurovsky gave them orders. So they got washed, they got dressed, and eventually, I don't know, by about two in the morning, they were taken downstairs. So into the basement. And they, the implication was they were taking, being taken to the basement for their safety because there was a lot of artillery fire in town and they were going to have to move them somewhere else um, that was a bit more secure. So initially they were told they were going to be taken somewhere else. But of course, they were a bit alarmed because they weren't allowed to put on their coats and hats and bring things. They were just kind of told to go downstairs. And uh, they were left sort of waiting there. Alexandra insisted they bring in chairs for her and the the boy to sit on because both of them weren't in the best of hell. And uh, then the next thing, Yurovsky came in and read a very short uh, document to 
Nicholas, who in utter incredulity asked him to read it again. And it was a short document saying, you know, you're going to be killed, shot, end of. And the next thing they knew, the uh, Yorovsky and his men start all open fire. Just absolutely incomprehensible how how that could have happened. Now, the, I, I from what I've read is that the the uh, the Tsar and the Serena were the first that were killed. Um, the Tsar definitely was killed first. I, I wrote a very detailed account of this in a Katerinburg. There's a whole chapter just about the killings. And I went through and analysed all the different eyewitness accounts, which are pretty confusing and muddled. And I talked for hours and hours to a ballistics expert who was also uh, an expert witness on forensics and what happens to bodies when people are shot and horrible things done to them. And certainly Nicholas died first, if only because all the killers, and we're not quite sure how many there were, seven or eight, we think, um, wanted to be the one to shoot the stars. So instead of shooting their designated target, as they had been given a, a specific member of the family to kill and the, on, and the servants, they all pointed their guns straight at Nicholas, shot him first, because they wanted to claim I shot the Tsar. Oh. He, he died probably first instantaneously. Uh, Alexander soon after, but Alexei didn't die immediately. And of course, the girls suffered horribly. Uh, because the, the assassins were pretty incompetent. And in the end, um, certainly I think Maria and Anastasia had to be finished off with bayonets. I know this is probably an impossible question for you, but if you had to pick one thing, what do you think, who or what do you think is to blame for the execution of the Romanov family? Well, well, Lenin, Lenin and his government, it's pretty clear to me. It's certainly, I'm certainly not going to wag my finger at King George V or anybody else because I think the whole argument about how they could have been miraculously rescued from Russia, even when they were still in Petersburg, uh, near Petersburg, it doesn't take into account a huge number of factors. So the person responsible is Lenin, although he clever, he didn't well, he didn't need to cleverly cover his tracks. He was so well protected by his colleagues in, in, in the Central Committee, the Bolshevik Party and the Soviet government, that so then there was no paper trail back to him to prove that categorically um, his responsibility. But I know from all the research I did, and I said in my book at Katrinburg, there was a, a very significant meeting at the end of June where it was decided in Moscow, where the government had now moved, that when the time came, the Romanovs should all be killed because they didn't want them to be rescued by the uh, anti-Bolshevik forces. They didn't want them to be a rallying point for a counter-revolution. And they were dispensable. They had to be got rid of. So the decision was made at the top by Lenin. But there is no piece of paper showing that with his name nice and neat and clearly written at the bottom. I'm afraid that's inconvenient of history. We don't have a piece of paper, but I certainly, you know, blame him ultimately. Yeah. 
Helen Rappaport, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and, and talking to us about this terrible tragedy. We will definitely send all of our listeners to your large body of work. If people want to find out more about what I've written about their own artists, it's HelenRappaport.com on the web. And they will find all kinds of interviews and various stuff and videos and things I've done over the years about the Romanoff family there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. I just want to thank Helen Rappaport and encourage all of our listeners to go to HelenRappaport.com and uh, find her entire uh, body of work as well as links to interviews that uh, she has done on the Romanov family. It's absolutely fascinating. So with us today, we have producer Amanda. Hello, Rebecca. And fact checker, Chris. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Chris. So what did you guys think about what Helen had to say? Well, Helen was great, first of all. Yeah. really That was really informative. She clearly knows a lot about it, uh, the subject. Um, and what, what, what I was drawn to how 
was the they painted over the windows. Could you imagine somebody painting over the windows? Like you can't see anything if the if there's paint on the windows. That's very true, Chris. That's very. true. <laughs> yeah, you I mean, I, honestly, like uh, you know, making that connection to how people are, you know, practicing self quarantining now, and how the Romanovs must have just been going out of their minds with just a small garden to walk around, like that. Um, it's just interesting how many of these tragedies somehow tie into what the world is experiencing right now. Absolutely, lockdown. They were so extremely bored that they turned to chores. They turned to doing <laughs> chores. I know. <laughs> their own chores, which they've never, ever, ever done. They're like, you know what? Let's do those. I will wash my underwear. I will wash my underwear. <laughs> Ooh, I haven't quite gotten there yet. I'm still like, there's piles <laughs> of laundry I have not <laughs> done yet. I think I need to be Another a little bit more bored. Quarantine, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, and, and what, you know, she really placed blame on Lenin. Which is, uh, you know, we we get, ended up giving Lenin the big slap and sending Nicholas II to jail. I, I dare I say she's really she really made me rethink my thoughts on Nicholas II. Perhaps we were too hard on him. I agree because I think we got kind of wrapped up in the ineptitude of Nicholas II and forgot. You know, we kind of lost how gruesome that these, you know, executions were and how in some ways unnecessary. I mean, you understand your the government has been overthrown and they're going to execute the the former czar. But how, how Helen was explaining that it was incomprehensible to Nicholas that they would kill his family. It made me think how unnecessary that really was and how cruel. And it made me think maybe we did get it wrong. Yeah. Right. Well, we sort of focused on sort of the 30,000 foot view, right? Or whatever. Like we were taking a really... Right. How did it get to that? Big old scope yeah. view. Um, but maybe, yeah, like the actual killing of the Romanovs, you know, I mean, maybe we, sh- maybe we should have been more uh, nar- narrow in our search about, in our sort of discussion of that. I think what Amanda's saying, uh, you know, the word unnecessary, it kind of sums up what my, my feelings about that and, and then changes my perspective on who who's to blame really right um because yes nicholas was to blame for all of his errors but what we're discussing is the execution of an entire family and really was was that necessary i know that in the I know that they, what they thought, they thought it was necessary because if, if they weren't all killed, then there would still be a, a lineage. Um, and they, they wanted to do away with the monarchy. But it just, it, it doesn't, it's not humane and it's not necessary. Right. I mean, I, I geez, it's tough. It, it, it's like, was Nicholas more to blame for not ushering in sort of a more gradual sort of change in government and society. He oversaw like a massive change in the country. Um, Could he have done that better? Um, And maybe that's not the question we should really be asking here. Um, So like, yeah, while that might be true, does he deserve to go to jail for the murder of his family? I, I maybe not. Maybe we, maybe we jumped the gun a little bit there. Also the way that they, they, 
carried it through was so sneaky and devious, especially because they weren't open about it. You know, they buried them in unmarked graves right off the side of the road, right in like a forested area. And they weren't upfront about them killing all the children, right? Like it's not right. like, yeah, it's not like this was a legal execution. It was done, you know, really in, I mean, God, it was just like so gruesome. It was gruesome. It was sloppy. And and they clearly knew that they were doing something wrong because they didn't tell uh, the Russian people what they had done. Uh, And for many, many years, it wasn't until 91, I believe, that the 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 first uh, grave was found. So, you know, when, when, when you when you hide. Right. What what are you hiding? What, what do you have to hide? If you're hiding, it, it's like you've got chocolate on your hands, right? Mm. Go on. <laughs> you stuck your hands into the, the chocolate chip cookie jar. Okay. And I when, see. You, <laughs> when you hide and, and when, when mom comes in and says, who, who ate all the cookies in the cookie jar and your hands are hidden behind your back, well, who's guilty? Am I right? Right. Le- Lennon has chocolates all over his hands, <laughs> all over his face. I mean, he is covered in chocolate. <laughs> okay. Did we, by the way, we might have slapped some of that chocolate off his face, but do we remember what happened to him after we slapped him? Did anybody get eyes on him? Because maybe we, sh- we should do a quick manhunt and pull him in and do a switch with him. And Nicholas. I think so. I think, look, I, and what, and tell me what you guys think. I think we should swap. I think that Lennon actually deserves to go to jail. And I think Nicholas, you know, he was handed a a, a terrible um, responsibility that he definitely didn't want. And and at that point, the the family uh, had pretty much soiled, you know, their uh, their monarchy or or their reputation that, you know, Things weren't going well for the family as a whole. So he inherited kind of like the, the broken down car, the, the yeah. old, you know, the old Camry that the windows don't go down and it, you have to call AAA to, you know, jump the battery mm-hmm. for you uh, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so while he could have done a better job for the sake of his family, uh, I don't think he ever saw... I don't think he he ever thought that someone could be so cruel and that someone was Lennon. I agree. Mm. I'm down to change the verdict. Wow. Is this a first for us? Have we? No, we've changed. We've, we've definitely verdict. gotten it like, wrong. A half a dozen <laughs> times. I'll, I'll tell you, these quote unquote experts really make a pretty convincing case when they start to talk about the real facts of these stories, don't they, guys? <laughs> That's why we bring them in. <laughs> yeah, we bring him in after the fact because we like to know how wrong we are. Well, yeah. <laughs> we have our own criteria and we're not backing down from that. It no. still works. You so. know, it's, who's going to break the news to Kate Casey? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's going to be upset. Should we tell her? No, we'll we'll, we'll have a separate. No, we won't tell her. We won't tell her. Um, but yeah, you know, history, it's a learning process am i right we're constantly learning more and more and more and so our opinions might change well maybe we should put a little asterisk on this episode and we'll just say we're gonna switch the verdict as long as we'll shoot an email to kate make sure she's okay <laughs> with it and then if she gives she's us she's not gonna up, be okay with it or no 
No, absolutely not. Sorry, this is this stays between the original three. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry, Kate. But also, thank you so much for... I mean, she was an incredible guest, uh, very well-informed. So, okay, it's settled. Nicholas II, you're getting the big slap. Lennon, you're going to the alarmist jail. It's, it kind of does feel nice to put Lennon in the alarmist jail. It's like, finally, one of, he wasn't a great... <laughs> guy (laughs) let's face it that's that's only good news yeah i mean baby steps we still haven't gotten hitler somehow but we care we got to be careful though because he could lead an uprising he led an uprising once he could do it again in the jail so we've got to maybe add some extra security in there i don't know do what but yeah we're we're gonna paint over the window in his jail cell oh good idea (laughs) good call that that's a that's a really good call now, um, I also want to mention that uh, our friends over at the Web Crawlers podcast, they have done a whole episode on Rasputin, which is a must listen. So if you want to further your knowledge of the Romanovs in that period of history, go on over to Web Crawlers and find their Rasputin episode because it's really good. Well, another day where we save the day. We save the world. We save the day. That's right. Uh, I feel good. I hope you guys feel good. I feel great. I hope everyone has a really great day. And uh, I hope everyone uh, goes on to Apple Podcasts and rates, reviews, subscribes, and leaves us a, a, a nice little um, five-star message. Am oh, I right, you know, Amanda? We've gotten some really good reviews after we put that call out to try to get our star rating up. And we're still at only four out of five stars. But I, you want me to read one or two? Because people have been stepping up. So Yeah, um, let's, read, here, let's read one. Here's one from Imagine Non-Tech. Im- Imagine Non-Tech. Wonderful show, five stars. Comedy meets history in this great show that tries to figure out who is to blame for historical tragedies. The shows could run for a long time as there are a multitude of tragedies out there to find blame on. Mm. Um, so thank you. And then here's one from Sage Pass. Five stars. Just started listening, but I'm definitely going to binge this now i just want to say we've probably gotten about i don't know five reviews since we put the call out on last week's aftermath and i gotta say the numbers just aren't adding up because we get thousands and thousands and thousands of people listening and we have still probably only about 850 reviews so if you're one of those people who are enjoying the podcast and haven't quite got yourself to rate and review now is the time to pick up your phone and please rate and review um, because we are really enjoying making this podcast, but we cannot continue unless more people start to listen, which is why we need you to rate and review so people can find the podcast. So that's my little threat. Hope it didn't come across <laughs> too aggressive. Well, it, it looks like some people uh, like in the in Great Britain and in Australia and Canada uh, have been reviewing as well. I, I, I just saw one from uh, the UK uh from Great Britain that said that it's like hanging out with your friends. And she also gave us a five-star review. Her name is Veronica. Um, mm-hmm. And she said that she uh, she likes all of the episodes, um, especially the Home Alone episode. And she tends to agree with the verdicts, or at least I understand why the panel made their decision. So we'll see what she thinks about the Romanoffs, if we got it right or so. Um, but yeah, she, she, she run in from London. So I, I don't know where these reviews are going, but let's keep it up. <laughs> yeah. So some of them, um, the 
podcast app that I look at is Apple Podcasts in the U.S. So those are the ones I'm seeing. But yes, it's true that some of our international listeners are reviewing on their international platforms. So we can also take a look at those. So that's true. Oh, that's good. Um, So keep it up, guys. And don't forget to call us, right? Amanda, what is our hotline number? Our hotline number. Let me find that for you. Please leave us voicemails and emails if you're too shy for a voicemail. You can also send a voice memo. But our number is 844-370-8643. And all of our Instagram handles and our email are in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for listening, and tune in next week. We'll be talking about the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Erios. Powered by ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.